Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Sheridan Oregon. Sheridan was a summer associate at Foley's Boston office. At the time of recording our discussion, she had just finished up her summer with Foley. And so, of course, I got her to walk me through her life. She reflects on growing up in Winnetka, Illinois, attending McGill University and Boston University School of Law. And as you'll soon hear, Sheridan's a little bit unique in that she's actually a dual degree student. So at this point, she has earned her JD and still has a little bit more school to go to finish her master's in public health. She reflects on what it was that made her want to also get her master's in public health and take an interest overall in health law. And she discusses how that translated to her decision to work with Foley, including an opportunity she had her prior summer before being a summer associate with Foley as a Foley Mayo Clinic fellow. So last summer, the one before this one, she actually got to spend working with the in-house legal team at Mayo Clinic. We unpack that, talk about the client perspective she gained from doing that and how this past summer she was able to then come and be a summer associate in Foley's Boston office, talking about what that experience is like, what she enjoyed. And of course, I get her to end our discussion with her advice to law students, which for Sheridan, very interestingly, was the importance of over-communicating. I hope you enjoy my discussion with Sheridan. Sheridan, welcome to the podcast. Let's get started by having you give a brief introduction. Hi, thank you. I'm Sheridan. I am a recent graduate from Boston University School of Law, and I just finished my summer at Foley. All right, we have to jump in. And I'm highly distracted because I happen to live next to a school. And I hear the kids in the day camp program, including my own son is one of them, currently screaming outside, but I don't think the audio is <laughs> it's picking up the audio. <laughs> but in case anybody's listening, it's like, what is wrong with Alexis? That's what's wrong with Alexis. But Sheridan, let's start somewhat at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I'm actually from the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> uh, so closer to you, I grew up on the North Shore, and I lived there until I graduated high school. And then I moved to Montreal for college. Okay, what suburb? Tell me the name. I'm, I'm sure I can guess there's only a handful you're likely referring to, but give me specifics. Yes. I grew up in Winnetka, and I went to Nutria High School. Okay, so tell me about Sheridan in Winnetka, presumably, when you were in that, like, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, like, what kind of kid were you? What was life like? Yeah, I feel like probably not significantly different than me now. Um, I've always been kind of like bookish kid, <laughs> very into like crafts, and kind of definitely not an athletic kid. And what kind of crafts? Like crafts is a huge, like, come on, <laughs> let's I want specifics. <laughs> I love knitting. I've always been really into knitting. I started knitting when I was a little kid and I still knit a lot and I really like it. It's a great, great stress reliever for me and has been a really fun way to keep my head above water in law school and while I started working. If you've been knitting since you were a kid, that means you're, are you relatively good at it as in like you can make <laughs> blankets and sweaters and I don't know, I don't even know. 
Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I do like making garments. So I make a lot of, a lot of my own sweaters and tops and stuff like that. And I, it's a great way to make gifts for other people too. That's amazing. And now, <laughs> now my, my request is like, can you send me pictures later via email? No, the listeners won't get to see, it. I'm sorry, but now I, I've invested in this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then also is Winnetka where Home Alone was? Yes, Winnetka yes. is Home Alone. There's a bunch of other movies that were filmed in Winnetka. Well, Matt. It's John Hughes. Yes, exactly. So for yeah. those who want some sort of visual reference, and yes, living in the Chicagoland area, I have seen the Home Alone house in real life. That's a good stop. And fun fact, I won't even, I won't go into too many details because that people are weird, but like a member of our talent team lives quite close to the Home Alone house. I won't I won't specify who or exactly what close means. <laughs> but yeah. It's been a topic of discussion. Okay, so I have knit, I have bookish, not sports, which is great and honestly refreshing because I've been on a run of athletic guests. <laughs> and, oh, I <laughs> right. When I was in middle school, I was not like I, I tried and then it was like, oh, this isn't for me. I just <laughs> so I, I appreciate maybe a kindred, a kindred spirit in that way. But tell me a bit about also, I don't know, your family. Did you have siblings, any parents or family members that were lawyers? But just give me a little bit more. Yeah, I don't have any family members that were lawyers. I do have siblings, uh, none of whom are lawyers. I have two brothers and a sister, and we all have very different lives in different parts of the country. Give me the birth order. So where do you fall within within the birth order? I have an older brother than me, and then a little sister and a little brother. So I'm second, but an oldest daughter. Yep, yep. (laughs) Uh, Which I feel like is a characteristic in and of itself. But yeah, so my, I mean, getting into law school, getting into grad school in general was not like my parents didn't really do that, didn't do law school for sure. So it was kind of a a stretch to learn about it and figure out what everything was. So what caused you to want to go? Although let me build it up, which is you're in high school, you're going to college. You mentioned you go to, did you say you go to Montreal? Yeah. So my parents are both Canadian. So okay. they made a very uh, wise choice when we were little and we we're all dual citizens. So I did go to college in Canada. I went to McGill in Montreal. And it was a really great experience. I actually, I didn't go right from high school to college. I took a year off in between because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And it just seemed like such a big choice to kind of choose a major right off the bat from high school. Because I, I mean, I loved school. I've loved every, I've loved being in school every time, but there's so many things I wanted to do when I was in high school that it felt like too big a choice to narrow it down at that point. Well, and what, how did you spend that year? So I started off working a little bit because I was in high school and <laughs> I didn't have enough money to do very much. But I, I worked for a few months and then went to Israel for six months. And I lived on a farm there and I discovered I've always really liked science, biology, stuff like that. And I discovered that I really liked plant science and food and talking about those kinds of things. So when I started at McGill, I actually majored in global food security and studied international agricultural practices. And it was a really great experience, but I definitely wouldn't have gotten there without the time off. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I don't want to skirt over what, what you just said. And I know that a lot of people listening, either lawyers or law students, but I, I do think occasionally at least Foley lawyers will trap their children into listening (laughs) to the show. They're like, I played it in the car. So my 14 year old was listening. And I don't know if I'm doing anybody any favors here because for those for, for those people who do go to college, it's often right away. But I just want to say I really like the taking a year. And I think for for some, there might be a bit of a privilege in the ability to do that, depending on how one's being supported. But this focus that at 18, you're going to know that you're just going to have done enough introspection 
And sure, you kind of look around to see what other people are doing. But we do have this belief, I think, especially in the US, that if I just think hard enough, I can intuit what I like and what I'm good at and what I should do. But really, there's there's a need to go out and try some things. And so yeah. your experience is you got to go out and try some things. Yeah, absolutely. Even just knowing kind of what jobs are. Like you obviously know your parents' jobs when you're in high school and you know your friends' parents' jobs. And then, you know, like the professions with a name, like lawyer, doctor, police officer, veterinarian. But like what actual people do every day is mostly not those things. So I thought it was a really wonderful experience. And I am I took time off after college too, before law school. So I think I'm all for going a little bit slowly and really figuring it out before you commit to a four-year or three-year academic degree. Well, and I think this also may explain for me why I'm so fascinated. I mean, granted, I have a podcast dedicated to talking to people who become lawyers, but in general, because my day-to-day is so steeped in the legal profession, you know, I went to law school, I was a lawyer, I've worked with lawyers. When I meet people who aren't lawyers, especially like I have a, a neighbor who's a Starbucks store designer turned commercial airline pilot because she was also in the Air Force. I've absolutely had her be, tell me step by step <laughs> about because I'm so fascinated. Of course, people do other things, but I think once you do become more steeped in legal, you get you're around lawyers all the time. And for me, I was one of those people, you, know, you asked me if I was when I was in fourth grade, I'd probably would have told you I'm going to law school. So I get especially excited by people who do literally anything else. (laughs) And that's not to disparage lawyers, because obviously I think lawyers are great too. But I want to break down a little bit about you deciding to take the year off. Did that, was that hard for you? Or was it easy for you to talk about with your parents? Were they supportive? And then how did you navigate filling that, that time? I just love to hear a little bit more about the exposure to plant science yeah. Yes. Uh, I know more. it's a very, yeah, it's a kind of a random thing to study in college. But my parents were really supportive because I've always been so into school. There was really no question that I would end up in college. And I did actually apply to colleges and universities before I decided to take a gap year. So I just deferred enrollment. I had already chosen McGill, gotten into McGill. So that was, it made them much more comfortable <laughs> that I wasn't just up and abandoned in college altogether. But I think. Uh, Sorry, I forgot the second half of your question. (laughs) Oh, no problem. I was asking about how did you decide to do what you did for that year? Right. So for me, I thought I wanted to, I was already waitressing in high school. So I kind of stuck with that because it was a way to make enough money to go. But I wanted to try some other things. So I actually also worked at a center for adults with autism, which is doing like day program services. And I just wanted to try a couple of things. And I wanted to travel because I was 18 and who doesn't want to travel? And Israel was a place that was, as a Jewish person, was easier for me to go because they make it very accommodating, easier for me to find a place to stay, easier for me to find something to do for six months. And it was a really great like toe into traveling because of how accessible it is for yes. Jewish kids to go to Israel. And was it a program that you were able to join to facilitate yeah. everything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was they they have like six months. It's sort of it's hard to describe now. It was sort of like an internship, but also we like we took a class and then all of these 18 to 30 year olds like took care of this farm together. And I was like Israeli kids with international students and not students, international young adults. (laughs) Um, I'm used to calling everyone who's young a student because that's the life I've been in most of the time. But yeah, so it was a, it was a great community, great way to meet other people from around the world and try something that's completely different than living in 
Winnetka because there's not a lot of farms there. <laughs> a little bit different. And I actually, I want to hear about the farm, but I want to ask a little bit about, you mentioned waitressing because it's really important to me that people understand that truly, I think anything that you've done prior to being a lawyer is helpful. And I'll talk to law students who they won't have yet had any professional experience. And I know we're going to talk, you know, with you, you've gotten to do a number of cool things, but their experience working is, you know, it's at the mall or it's in food services. And I just, I want to make it clear that that's the case for a lot of people who go on to law school, but I also think you can learn a lot about humans. And so I see you nodding just a little. So I'm just, I'm just curious. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you learn about people by being a waitress? No, definitely. I started waitressing in high school and I worked at the same place on and off for up until right before I started law school, actually, because I bartended there for a while too. And I actually think that it's one of the most transferable skills you gain is just the ability to think on your feet, be able to have a short conversation with anyone and kind of not melt under stress. It gives, like you practice those for enough time and they get kind of, they get a lot easier. I'm not a person who's naturally calm under stress, but I've had a lot of experience now in kind of low stakes situations. And I definitely think that that's one of the things that comes through, particularly when you're interviewing. I don't know. I mean, I came to this through OCI, which I'm sure a lot of people did too. But when you're having a 20 minute conversation with 10 different people for a couple hours, like you're like, that's I've done, a lot. I've, and you're also <laughs> like, I've done a version of this before. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what waitressing and bartending is. You just have to say hi all the time. Do it with a smile on your face. I don't know. So I think people just, notice that. Just what, you know, how we talk a lot about big law, you know, the, the criteria or attributes we're looking at when we're looking to hire associates. So watch, give me a few more years. I'll chip away at Foley where I'm like, bonus points for anyone who's been a waitress or bartender. Well, you f- I bet if we could do some sort of poll of our attorneys, you'd find there's some sort of correlation there between, I mean, I don't even know. I'm somewhat making this up, but I'm also sort of not because I, I truly do think people forget we are professional services. We have clients at the end of the day, you are dealing with people. So that's a great way to start developing those people skills. But now take me to the farm in Israel. What is the connection? What is the work that causes you to think this is what I would like to to focus on and learn more about? Um, I actually can't remember how I found that farm exactly. It's like halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, which is kind of beautiful area. And I think I was just looking through different kinds of opportunities and Again, I really liked science, so I thought I should do something kind of related to that. And I've always really liked like outdoors stuff. I like hiking and those kinds of trips. And it just felt like a kind of an interesting new fit. Yeah, let's be outdoors. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. You So you like science. And I, this is awful. And I, I profess <laughs> my ignorance constantly, I think, on this podcast. I understand that farming, let's call it, and I know you, you ultimately says plant science, but you know, there's biology. But as somebody who does like science, but does not have a green thumb in the slightest, my brain is not like, oh, farming, science, this, clearly I will be into these things. So I'm just curious what your responsibilities were and what were the types of things you were exposed to that caused you to say plant science? That's what I want to focus on at McGill. Yeah. So this particular farm practiced permaculture design, which is like a type of farming that integrates, that tries to integrate the elements of a farm really well to make it function optimally. I'm describing it pretty badly. This has been about 10 it sounds, years. No, but it sounds fancy. The way you described yeah, it, it sounds very like it's permaculture. So clearly yeah, <laughs> it's a type of kind of ecological design that tries to make the best use of space yeah. and making sure that you're 
daily functions are accommodated as efficiently as possible so that you're not like wasting water, wasting light, wasting nutrients that could otherwise be for the plants. And in that way, I think it was very much like a scientific discovery period for me because I was like, wow, plants actually, if you know what they need and what they're doing and how they grow, you can be a lot better at it. That makes sense. That's probably why I'm bad at growing (laughs) plants because I don't know the answers to those things. (laughs) Yeah. But I also think that like gardening, which is not exactly agriculture, can also just be a very fun, relaxing thing. So it incorporates kind of two nice things that you get to be outside, you get to be in the sunshine. And also that it is like, if you want to make it a scientific naturalism activity, you kind of can. Absolutely can. So you have that experience, you come back and by come back, I mean, go to start college. (laughs) You do that for four years. And as you mentioned, focusing on plant science. So just, I don't know, quick thoughts on what the college experience was like and, and what you thought you would be doing with, with the degree. Yeah. So I think in the same way that my parents were very supportive of me taking time off, they also let me do what I wanted to do in college, which I think is a, a, can be a risky move because I didn't necessarily have a career trajectory planned out for after college. And so I majored in global food security, but my degree is in agriculture and environmental sciences. I think that that is not what comes to mind first when people think like, oh, an employable person, (laughs) like this person has something that naturally translates into the skills the market is looking for. So, but I loved college. I had so much fun. I learned, I got every class I took was something that I wanted to take and wanted to learn about. I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought that it was just a really great experience for me to feel engaged with academia. And I don't think that's the experience of every person who goes to college because it has to be kind of a career move while it's also kind of developing yourself and developing skills. So in that way, I think I was really lucky to be able to just do the classes that I was interested in at a school that had such a wide variety of really cool classes. So I got to study a lot of different things about nutrition and policy and like economics, plant science, obviously, agricultural sciences, environmental sciences. And it was just a really, I really enjoyed it. And it made me want to continue with school. And then because we start thinking like, where in the world does the law school, yes. where, when, do, when do those seeds get planted? Yeah. And I'm like, I guess pun intended. I don't know. <laughs> but so what happens next? Yeah. I mean, as a side note, I also think that I'm a great person for anyone who's like, wow, I, I didn't plan to go to law school. Or I didn't know about law school until I was older. Cause I am certainly one of those people where I, I've never been a five-year plan person. I just have gone with like, being really interested and passionate about something. But after I finished school, I started applying for jobs <laughs> and I wanted to move home to Chicago or my parents at that point were in Chicago. So I got a job at the Greater Chicago Food Depository through AmeriCorps. I was a youth program specialist. So you, it's basically coordinating meals for youth in Cook County and after school meal programs or for like summer camps and stuff like that. So they, they provide tens of thousands of meals throughout the school year. It's a really cool job. It was a really great way to be exposed to different nonprofits in the Chicago area. It also lines up with your undergrad, right? Because I think you said food insecurity. Yeah. So food security, it's exactly, it was food security. Yeah. Yeah. It was the closest thing I could possibly find. And it was a great experience. And I met a ton of cool people. They're really, really wonderful people working at the food depository. And for those of you who aren't from Chicago, the food depository is basically like Chicago's overarching soup kitchen. They coordinate distribution of preserved goods, as well as like coordinating pantry services and stuff. So it's kind of a step above the actual, in terms of the coordinate, it does more of the coordination work than the actual distribution of meals. 
so it was a really, really great experience. But I realized while I was working there that you're really confined by state policies and by the policies of the city and the county. And you're kind of working within a program already. You're not necessarily building programs. And I wanted to be more part of the building programs. And another really great part of that job was that we got to do a ton of professional development. They were really, really generous with us about if we found an opportunity to do professional development or like a seminar or something, we were were allowed to go, which was really cool. So I went to DePaul Law Reviews. They had their health law conference. It was just a coincidence. I found it on Eventbrite. And I... (laughs) Just scrolling through and you're like, yeah, "Yeah, let's go. Oh, I can go to that. Got a ticket. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple hours. So I was like, this is free. I think a lot of the law review symposiums and conferences are free. If anyone is interested in attending, they have really cool speakers. So I went to that and there were about five different lawyers there who had jobs where I was like, this is the stuff I want to do. These are really cool. They were like in-house counsel for hospitals. They were people who worked at medical legal partnerships. I met a bunch of people from the CDC. So I was, I just, that really clicked with me. And I realized "Ah, there there it is. There it is. (laughs) That was kind of what was missing from my job and the next step. And so after that, did you start kind of, I don't know, poking around to figure out how one attends law school? Yes. And I was, I was like, I should probably meet some lawyers. Um, so, so logical. I, That's so logical. <laughs> right. I met those lawyers and I was like, your jobs sound cool, but I actually don't know what lawyers do in general. Because I mean, it's not actually as clear as people think it is. No. Or I, as I thought of I'm, it. I'm laughing to myself because I've started rewatching Suits along with, I guess, a lot of people because it's on Netflix. And that's pretty much what you have to go on. I mean, not just, but all the, you know, legal shows and the basics that you learned about the branches of government and school, but as in terms of what it looks like day to day to actually practice any type of law, eh, it's hard to know. So it makes sense to talk to some lawyers. Yeah, exactly. So I started looking for it. So AmeriCorps is only a year. So I was at the end of that term. And I started looking for a new job and I found the Illinois Justice Corps Fellowship, which is another AmeriCorps position. And they provide legal services and legal information, mostly for pro se civil litigants. But at the time they were looking for someone to fill the information desk at the Leighton Criminal Courthouse in Chicago. That's the law. There's law. Let's go (laughs) see some law. Yeah. I was like, there must be lawyers there. (laughs) So I actually, I worked there for about four months and then the pandemic started and they switched us to working. I was a live chat operator for the Legal Aid Foundation for like three or four months during the pandemic. But it did give me an opportunity to just meet a ton of different attorneys and get a lot of informational interviews in and kind of figure out what it actually meant to work at those organizations that I had seen as well as working at law firms, working in-house, working kind of for government, stuff like that before I started the application process. And then it took I actually took the LSAT early on working for Illinois Justice Corps. Wow. So that's a fantastic way to get the exposure. You obviously weren't scared away, but decided to keep moving forward. (laughs) Take the LSAT. You then need to apply to law school. What was that process like for you? Yeah. So I think I had had already a couple years of work experience. So I, and the experience of being able to really choose what I was interested in the past. So I knew I wanted to look for a health law program and a school that had at least very strong health law courses, and also the opportunity maybe to do a dual degree in public health as well, because that kind of seemed like the people I were meeting were in that juncture, either public health, public policy, and law. And so I found Boston University. There were two schools I was really interested in. One was Loyola in Chicago, and one was Boston University. 
because they both have really excellent health law programs and they were super like open about talking and connecting me to people in the schools and being able to really get an idea of what it would be like to be a student here before I started. And so that was really, I mean, that was it for me. I found those two schools and I did apply to a couple others, obviously, because I wanted to be safe about it. But this was really, Boston University was my goal. So I applied here for law school. And then the other important thing is obviously to consider where you live and where you want to live. And then scholarships are such a big thing with law school and how you can kind of get to where you want to go without completely bankrupting yourself. (laughs) And so that was the other big consideration about school. And so you pick BU. Yeah, I picked BU. Yeah, and I was able to, they do actually have a dual degree program that has been a really wonderful opportunity to kind of split my time between law school and law students are wonderful people, but they are stressed out and it is a a tough environment in public health. There's different different energies between the different programs and say, if you wouldn't mind saying a few words about the structure, because I think you're actually one of few, I'm sure I've talked to some other dual degree folks, although in terms of doing them at the same time, it it looks different. The timeline's a little bit different. So what is that like at Boston University when you're also getting a master's in public health? Yeah. I mean, I think it's nice because you can do it. They're pretty flexible with it. You can do it a bunch of different ways. Your first year is identical to the regular 1L experience across the country. You take the same courses that every single person takes in their 1L. And then you, I actually applied to the public health school when I was a 1L and I started courses there the fall of 2L. And since then I've, I take extra courses every year. So it is a little bit of um, an extra, an extra commitment. It's extra time, but um, I really, really enjoy the public health courses. They're a completely different feeling than being in law school. So it kind of doesn't feel the same as just doing more school, but I've been taking part one or two courses basically every semester on top of the law school courses. And then you can finish in six, seven, or eight semesters, depending on how many extra courses you take. So I've, I've just finished my three years of law school and I have one semester left. So I was on track to finish it in seven semesters, but I'll be splitting it over the course of two semesters so I can work part-time as well. That's pretty good. I mean, I don't, I have not assessed many of these. I was like, oh, just ultimately, I say just, I don't want to minimize it. You've <laughs> been taking extra classes while in law school, which are resulting in you having essentially another semester's worth of school before you're done with both is what I'm hearing. Yeah, all things considered. I mean, it, it is, uh, you, it's the best bang for your buck because you, at least at BU, the way it's structured is that you pay for law school or whatever your tuition scholarship situation is. That covers as many courses as you want to take, which that's is a really, really wonderful, yeah. That's really interesting. And also it explains for those, when you, when you first introduced yourself, you said, I've graduated from BU for law school. And for the for most people who are just summer associates, they still have another year of law school. So in case anyone, when we first started talking, was like, huh, I'm not quite, wait, did she say what I think she said? <laughs> yes, she did, because being in a dual degree, in a dual degree program. But I'd love to hear a little bit about what it was like starting law school with that, because your first year was basically a regular year of law school. Why did you think of that? And and I'm also, you started dur- no before the pandemic or during? No, I started at the height of the pandemic. <laughs> right. So yeah. you're, you started with, you're completely remote, presumably. So BU had hybrid, which was okay. a weird experience. To be completely honest, though, I mean, I, I am pretty sure one is a weird experience for everyone, regardless of when you started. It's a different kind of academic environment than it's a different type of academic environment than I've ever been in. Um, 
And it's a different type of reading and a different type of homework and a different type of test taking than I've ever done. And then on top of it, we were, I, about half of our classes had an in-class option if you were comfortable with it, but you also had at least half the class on somewhere projected into the, into the room, which is a very strange experience. So I think starting in that environment was difficult and a lot of the social aspects were different. A lot of the networking options were different because this was back when we all had like parties and happy hours and stuff on Zoom. Oh my goodness. Which now is a, I know. Because <laughs> I know, I know, I know we're hitting not quite three years past because we were all in it for so long. But it, I do hear that with a weird type of nostalgia. It evokes a weird nostalgia, but not in like a, my, maybe trauma is actually the better, the better word for it. But I would imagine in looking at your law school experience, it's probably hard to tease out what was law school? What is navigating this strange world that we're navigating? And I, you're not the first or probably the last person I'll say this to has been on the show. I do think for someone who started law school either slightly before or during the pandemic, when you talk to law students who want to ask you about your experience, because at some point you're going to be 10, 15, 20 years out of school and you'll, you'll always have to be like, well, no, I started during the COVID-19 pandemic, which just makes things different. Like it was just a different time. Yeah, um, it was very strange to me. It feels like a fever dream. Like sometimes I remember the stuff that we did and you're like, it's it's very strange to just like hang out on Zoom, which we did all the time. But I do think, I mean, obviously there were significant deficits to starting anything during the pandemic. But I think one of the major benefits for me was that it was harder to see what other people were doing. There was none of this kind of like herd mentality around you know, you see your neighbor studying 60, 80 hours a week. So you think you have to study. I didn't know what anyone else was doing. I had my study group, which is like key to law school is like find a study group and stick with them because they're a wonderful resource. And that was kind of it. Like I had, we spent so little time. Yeah. We had spent so little time in person that you were kind of just able to develop your own habits and figure out what felt right and good and how to be successful on your own. And I think that actually kind of made it a little bit easier in some ways that I wasn't feeling pressured by watching someone else do a crazy amount of studying or a crazy amount of reading ahead just because. Why are they, why are they always walking to the library? What, what, what are, I mean, is it still <laughs> what do books? They know? <laughs> do they, they still use books in law school, right? I don't even know. Is this all on a tablet? Now? Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> what sort of study aids does this person have? And I think that's a, that's a huge theme because I touch on so much during each episode of the podcast. I never do a really deep dive, but I do think the ultimate takeaways are, one, people learn differently. So it's great that you found your people and the study group really worked. I know for other people, they realize study grouping is not for them, mm-hmm. but not, but ultimately not being afraid to figure out what works for you, but realizing you are in a different environment and different way of learning, which you already said. So taking the time to ask the questions, whether it be of fellow law students, professors, even better as someone who's a year or two ahead of you. <laughs> to see to see what's going on versus just assuming you're supposed to intuitively know how to do well. That's right. probably not going to work out that great. Yeah, no one knows how to brief a case before law school. And it's weird. And then you like really go into it for the first year and you're like, wait, actually, <laughs> I don't need to write down every single fact from this ridiculously long case. But yeah, I mean, even the study group thing was good for studying. But also because they're like a resource about finding out what's going on at law school and what it like what OCI means. What does it mean to go to these different networking events? What does it mean to meet someone from like, I I mean, if you don't 
I think unless you're like well connected to lawyers already and someone's explaining it to you, then like this and is so an additional resource. Yeah. And so yeah. few yeah. people are well <laughs> connected in this way. I've probably told this story yeah. before, but so I went to the University of Michigan for law school. And at the time they, we had our, our mailboxes were these just file folders, like these hanging file folders. So if you had mail, you would, you know, check for the folder with your name. And I remember getting a giant chocolate bar that just said the words Millbank in big red letters. Like no one, it doesn't say like Millbank, Millbank LLP or like, no, no, it's literally just, they got custom chocolate bars made that were obnoxiously large, but still awesome. Cause I'm in law school and I do like chocolate. Yeah. And it said, and I, I remember pulling out and being like, what is a Millbank? Like that was my first, I didn't, I'm not, I wasn't like, oh, this is a top New York law firm. They're giving us chocolate. So cool. Maybe I'll interview. No, I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, and now I've been in the industry for so long that if you say almost any top 200 law firm, I could probably tell you a little something about them. I couldn't wow. do that when I was a first year law student, but you did mention OCI, which for those who don't know, on campus interviews, walk me up to that. And I might be fast forwarding too much. So if there's something else to highlight, but let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, no. So uh, I had a, a summer internship after my first year. I worked at Medical Legal Partnerships Boston, which is a very cool organization if anyone's in Boston and wants to talk about it. And then OCI takes place kind of the summer while you're doing the summer internship, which is also yes. a completely strange structure. And you know, I'll and- even pause for a second to say, for those who don't know, what you do your first summer like you start law school in September, then you have a summer is usually try to get something like legal related job. Um, it's much harder to work at a law firm. Some do, but in terms of big law firms, that's generally a second summer of law school. So you mentioned, I think you said it was called medical legal partners, partnerships, Boston. Par- partnerships, yeah. Boston, say, yeah. say just like a sentence or two about what that is. Sure. So they're a group of consultants and they work um, with different types of medical pr- providers and able to kind of enhance the services that medical providers deliver by kind of giving them the legal information that provides the context for their services. So that's, yeah, that's it's actually, really that's pretty cool. interesting. Yeah. I was like, that's really interesting. And then as you mentioned, what we're calling OCI or the process of, I'll call it formally, usually through a structured program, it really depends on your law school, how many law firms they would have you potentially meet with a structured program that exposes you or allows you to interview with law firms so that you can have a job, uh, usually with a big law firm who does OCI. Your second summer is starting during the time that you're working as a summer intern for medical legal partners. I probably just mess up their names, so sorry if I did. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, let me orient because you know we do get people who are just like, like what is what is what, and and frankly, half of the battle with law firms is the timing. Like you can just be off in terms of timing, which can actually be an issue with someone who's who's a dual degree, frankly, because you end up having you didn't, you didn't end up having an extra summer, but depending on no, I did. I you did, did have an extra, extra summer. summer. There you go. Yeah. Yes, and I think the extra summer for me worked out really well, and it's one of the things that really drew me to Foley was how a understanding of the dual degree they were because they actually do the in the healthcare practice group a bunch of the attorneys have gone through the same program. And by a bunch, I mean like three or four, but that's a, 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 that's a huge, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, uh, it's a relatively small group of people in the group. So it's a, a big enough percent that they understand kind of the constraints of the program and why I would need extra time and what I'm doing with that extra yes. time to make it valuable. 
Yes, because as an industry, we are relatively rigid in our hiring windows, which I could go on with a much longer rant or discussion. But I'll just tell you, I have met amazing candidates who, for whatever reason, are just their timings off. Like they thought maybe they didn't think they wanted to work for a large law firm. So they they didn't do on-campus interviewing. And now they're changing their mind as a 3L. And yeah, there's some opportunities, but there's less opportunity, like all, all kinds of stuff. But what was your OCI experience like? Yeah, so I did OCI because I wanted to keep options open and I really wasn't sure exactly. I mean, I have this extra time, but I didn't know what to do with it and didn't know exactly where I wanted to end up at that point. And OCI is the first opportunity to apply for a 2L summer internship and I just didn't want to miss anything. But I only applied to a couple of firms. Foley was one of them. And I met the a couple of the associates and then one of the partners in the Boston office. And I was like, this is every everyone here is wonderful. It feels like a perfect fit socially. I've enjoyed the conversations I'm having and the fact that they really understand why public health would be useful to a healthcare practice group in a law firm was just such a big draw for me. Um, And then I found out that they had this Mayo Foley fellowship, which is basically where you spend one summer uh, at the Mayo Clinic and then one summer at Foley. And it's designed for someone who has just finished their first year, which I was already... Like I I was done with that internship process already. So I was actually behind, but it had been a little bit off because of COVID. They weren't selecting a 1L my summer. And also you had the extra summer anyway. And that's why, and I apologize because I know you were a Mayo fellow, but I, I kind of, I briefly also forgot how the timing, (laughs) timing must've worked, but right. So you got, you essentially got three summers and for two of those summers, you were, I, I want to say promised to Foley, but that sounds strange. <laughs> but the the first, so you had the the one summer experience you mentioned, the following summer you were at Mayo Clinic, and the one after that, which is the one you're just finishing up or just finished, is where you were a summer associate at Foley. Exactly. So I was at Mayo the summer after my second year of law school, and it was a really, really wonderful opportunity to see what in-house counsel looks like for huge hospital <laughs> hospital system. And it was just, I got to try so many different things and learn about a bunch of things and kind of meet people at Foley from the other side, from the client perspective, see kind of what it looks like to work with Foley through a different lens and what type of services Foley would offer versus what hospitals can do on their own. Um, And then I actually worked for them through the school year as well. So I worked right through April and then of my third year. And then after my third year, I started at uh, Foley. And with my summer associate position. That's so interesting. I'm like, where should I go? Where should I go? <laughs> I, I Before I ask you what your summer was like at Foley, I do just want to give a little bit more time to your experience at Mayo and acknowledging what you said about the opportunity to see it from the other side, meaning you know, Mayo is a client of Foley and Lardner. This is something we do in partnership, but I really think exposure to I don't want to sound cliche, but we'll call it like the client lens, <laughs> but getting to essentially work with in-house lawyers as an in-house, you know, summer associate or intern isn't something that a lot of people get to do, I think is one way to say it. And, you know, I've mentioned, I've been around this legal industry for a long time. I've worked in a number of law firms. I've helped lawyers find jobs. I've never worked in-house. I've had to glean what I know about what it's like to be an in-house lawyer from say my friends that are in-house, but I think being there I just say like on the inside, which sounds not to overstate things, but that's really what it is, right? It's an opportunity to see the various ways and the various needs that the Mayo Clinic has in terms of legal, which I imagine is this like legal, regulatory and compliance 
sort of space. And I'll stop talking because you may have more to say about it. Yeah, no, I think the thing that, I mean, there were two parts of the summer in terms of like the big learning gaps for me. And one was like, what exactly is Mayo Mayo Clinic? And what does it mean to work in such a huge hospital and health system? Like they just, they provide so many services, have so many employees and are so pervasive across the country. I mean, like if you Google anything, any health condition, Mayo Clinic comes up. So kind of what it, it's not just like that in-person hospital services, what you think of kind of with health laws, like the doctor patient relationships, Absolutely. the payer relationships. Yeah. And it's so much more than that. So much of their legal practice has to be designated to kind of like the creation of new products, the, I mean, real estate employment, like how much work you have to do, which was kind of the second part of low learning block for the summer was figuring out what it means to just run such a big system and what the legal challenges are with that. And then how that kind of narrows down with the health focus. And so it was really, I think, because I got to spend so much time there, especially because I did it almost for a full year, I saw just a huge breadth of issues. And it was a really great way to kind of tailor my focus, what I wanted to look at more closely once I started it fully, Um, which is kind of the nice, I think, one of the things I learned was that when you're in Mayo, you just do, or when you're in-house, generally, I think you have to do so many different things. A lot of the people there were so many hats because you have to accommodate all of the needs of this system. And when we got to work with Foley attorneys, they really got to put on like such a specific hat (laughs) and look at such a specific niche issue, really like read that one new statute that came just passed a million times and figure out exactly how it applies through each different like case law scenario. And I think that was kind of a cool opportunity to see how the work might differ between in-house and on the firm side. Oh, that's so interesting. I want, like, I could just ask you so much more, but I'm not, we'll go to, to Foley, but I think that's a really helpful explanation. And not only in terms of, you know, say helping Foley as we, you know, gear up to find a, a new Mayo fellow, but also just teasing out the dichotomy and starting because a big part of being a firm lawyer is understanding what life is like for your client, even though you haven't lived it. Cause most large law firm lawyers have not been in house before, but really getting an appreciation of the challenges and the demands on them. And I think the way you describe that really helps um, someone who maybe, who maybe hasn't thought about that before start planting some seeds as to what that may be like, but then you transition to being a summer associate. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me about it. What was it like? What did you do? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the fellowship made it super simple, like such a great transition, because I already knew most of the people I met them, whether it was in person, because I got to see the Boston office a couple times, which is, um, I think was a great opportunity. Like, I think if you have an opportunity to go to the office, the law firm you're working at and see what it looks like to be there, hopefully, like during the day when there are other people working and kind of just get a for lack of a better term, a vibe check. Yes, I, I said the word was... vibes. You're not the first time. I'm like, it's vibes. It's just that. <laughs> yeah. well, it, and I also, when people are doing callback interviews, and for you, it's a little bit different because you really knew what you wanted to do. So for law school, I'm looking at places or I'm looking at law schools that have strong health healthcare or master's of public, can I, now I can't even speak, that have MPH options. And so even in the law firms you were selecting, you were looking at firms that had really strong uh, reputations in healthcare, which of course Foley does, but there's a lot of people who are going to listen who are like, I know I want to be a lawyer. I don't quite know what sort of law. And a part of the assessment of what firm you think would be the best for you, of course, it's what they do. It's are the people nice. It's all those things. 
But when you come back for the callback interview, often, although there there might be exceptions, especially now, you're going to get to see the physical place itself, see what the offices look like, see how the lawyers interact with each other and with business professionals. And I just think that's such an important point. So I just, yeah. just had to really stress it. No. And you, I mean, meeting more of the group and kind of seeing what you, who you click with and kind of, if you can have a conversation with everyone in your practice group or everyone you meet on the elevator or whatever, I think that was a really big part of it for me. So it made this transition from Mayo to fully really smooth because I'd had those opportunities already. I'd done a little bit of work with a bunch of different people at Foley. They kind of prioritized like putting me in a position to work with both Mayo and Foley attorneys together, which was very cool. And so it was a pretty, I, I felt really lucky that when I walked in on my first day at Foley, I was like, hey, I know where I'm going. I know, I know where the and office Everyone's is. like, oh, look, Sheridan's here. We've been working <laughs> with her anyway. Which yeah. which is a really different experience for a summer yeah. associate. Like just to, sorry, I keep just having to, um, I don't know, like I want to spin on certain topics, but I think it's wonderful because your experience sounds like it was so positive, but it is unique. It's most summer associates walk into a law firm and they're like, I know the few people I met during my interviews and I came here however, however long ago at that point, it's like, what, nine, 10 months ago for four hours to interview. And now I'm back. What's going to happen? But you definitely had built a relationship both at Mayo and with Foley lawyers over the almost year that you'd been working with the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, just as you described it, I, I do think I had a different experience. And like you walk in on the first day and you're like wearing a suit, which is uncomfortable. <laughs> And your shoes are uncomfortable because you haven't worn them since you did the interviews in the first place. Everything is just like every new transition is uncomfortable. And I think that this just made it so much better. And I was kind of able to jump into things because I understood a little bit more about the work that Foley was doing. And I only had a very specific view of what they were doing for Mayo, but they do that work for other hospitals and other health systems and other like healthcare providers right. as well. So you get to, con- you get to continue that work that I'm assuming you're also, and so for you knowing what your practice group interest is and what it's going to be, which is not always the case for our summer associates, but I'm assuming you also then got to do the work beyond just Mayo clinic work. Yes, absolutely. I got a huge breadth of opportunities this summer and they really, I mean, I've talked to my friends at other firms a little bit and I feel like the summer associate, they call it kind of like a 10 week interview because you're supposed to be getting to know the firm and they're supposed to be getting to know you to decide whether they would like you to come back and whether you would like to come back the next year. And so I think for a lot of firms, they prioritize just like have fun the whole summer and meet everyone. But I really felt like I got to do really cool, interesting and meaningful projects for the whole summer. I mean, on day one, like I already had things in my inbox to read and to jump in on. And I think that that is, at least to me, I thought so much more valuable than the, I mean, you're going to get great lunches and you're going to get great, great social you're like, Don't get me wrong. Whatever. I did yeah. the social stuff too. <laughs> yes. I loved that. It was so fun. But being able to see my work product actually being delivered to a client in basically the form that it was when I sent it to the partner or the associate, I really felt like I was doing work that was worthwhile and no one was just kind of like creating a job for us. Um, And I think that's, I think for you, it's doubly the case given having been the Mayo fellow, but generally speaking, I know at Foley, like this is work that's going to get done. Mm -hmm. So we're figuring out and it really depends on your practice area, but how to parcel it out so that, and that can actually be a real challenge is splitting up work in a way that you can 
give a nice, like clean slice of work (laughs) to, uh, to a summer associate. And I know like, for example, tends to be easier in litigation because, you know, it's easier to be like research this issue because we're going to drop it into the brief here. The client had this question can be more of a challenge, particularly with some of our transactional practices. But the bottom line is, someone's going to do it and mm-hmm. we want we want our summers to but no one's like making up fake fake work and then also it's i think a really hard balance to strike but one that i think fully generally does a good job at is the balance between feeling like you're getting exposure to what the work is like and even more frankly even more important shared in for someone who didn't have your experience because they're coming in like really not having a sense but then yeah we do want you to get to know us as a firm yeah like we want and you to know your so, practice group. Yeah. And it's really fun. <laughs> like it's it's work, it's whatever. But the they really do have great social events that are designed to and now give me some give me some highlights because we're gonna start to wind down, but let's give me some give me some highlights that just make people be like, Oh, that's fun. I should work at Foley because I could do that fun thing <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> um, I mean, if you ever wanted to try a good restaurant in Boston or in any of the other Foley City offices, you'll try it while you're at Foley. It's true. This is true. You get to go on just like lots of nice lunches and some dinners and stuff like that. We did a beer tasting event, which was very fun because I am not a beer person. And I did not know there was so much to be known about beer. (laughs) And uh, that expanding expands your horizons. Yes, exactly. It was a a Belgian red ale, which I don't even think I'd ever heard of. And I did not know that there were eight of them. (laughs) Well, and Um, now in the the future, you'll be like, you'll be like, you know, I'm not much of a beer drinker. But if I was... (laughs) Do you have a Belgian red ale? And suddenly you're like very specific. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We went on a Monsters and Lobsters tour, which was very fun. We, it was kind of like a trolley tour focusing on the mobster history of Boston. So it's no, I want to do that the next time I'm in Boston. And then I have to give a plug for, well, the summer associate retreat in general, which Mm -hmm. is where we had you come to Chicago. Yes. And I spent a lot of time in Chicago obviously. And I have never done like so many fun things in two days in Chicago. It was so, I mean, it was so much fun. We had like a dinner at the Shed Aquarium, which was the coolest Chicago experience I've ever had. And I've spent a bunch of time. Oh, I love that. I'm sure our recruiting team, it means a lot also because, you know, you grew up, you've been to the shed, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And so to be there for a private event and what's been really fun for me and also something that I've experienced because I started at Foley shortly before the pandemic, as did a number of members of the talent team and the recruiting team. So we've, and I say we, meaning those of us who started the last four years, five years, had a, a lot of interesting summers to navigate through, right? So Foley was not a firm that ever, we never, we didn't cancel our summer program the summer of 2020, but we had about six weeks to, and I say we, I did not do the work. This is the recruiting team. So <laughs> I really shouldn't say they, because all so much respect to my, the recruiting team, because they work so hard, but they went virtual in six weeks, the summer after that. And I mean, the jokes were what's harder than a virtual summer program, a hybrid one, you know, a summer after that, your hybrid. And then the one after that, I think it was mostly normal, but there was still, you know, we were still dealing with the pandemic. So it's really this summer and maybe a bit of last summer where we've finally started to do like a, what I'd call like more of a normal summer program, which is, it's all a ton of work, but I think it's just been so rewarding, especially for the recruiting team to be able to do all of those things and not be operating within 
the challenges and the restrictions of a global pandemic. So this is where I'm just like, if I had a hat, I would take it off because <laughs> my hat's off to them. But I, I was with you, Sheridan. I was like, this is nice. <laughs> it was so nice. And I think it just is also reflective of the fact that all of the social events are designed to be very cool. But I got to meet the other healthcare summers. Like I, I got to meet people that I will work with in the future, even though they work in offices, they're literally a thousand miles away. And I think that combining those two things, like making it a fun and interesting experience is like, what was the summer? <laughs> yes. And I think healthcare in particular, and this goes the case for a lot of our practice groups, but I think of our healthcare group as a relatively tight knit practice group. There's definitely different areas of focus. So mm-hmm. for example, some people, they, they do telemedicine, like that's generally what they're advising clients on. Talk about something that really, that grew exponentially <laughs> because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, whereas some others that maybe telemedicine's not their thing. They're more focused on, I don't know, hospital systems. And this is where I'll stop talking because I will be totally out of my depth <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the practice focus. But it's as I've gotten to know members of that group, I know I've also been impressed by how they've mobilized over the years and the breadth of experience. They have all of that. But as we do start to wind down, I'll ask my two final questions and we'll see where they take us, which is one, is there something that you've wanted to touch on or share that you haven't gotten the opportunity to? And then we'll then we'll slide into what some of your overarching advice to, to law students. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about a bunch of things and I'm sorry if I've like wound all around and... Nope. I know. No, my timeline is confusing. The names of all of like the, the stuff I've done are very similar, but can be confusing too. Um, but no, I think I've touched on everything that I wanted to. All right. Let's talk about your advice, whether it be the things you'd wish someone had told you or just, I don't know, high level takeaways, nuggets of wisdom you can give people. Mm-hmm. I think that something that everyone will tell you, but it's actually true and you should is to over communicate like everything. If you think you understand something and you think you've got the assignment right based on a short conversation, write an email and confirm that you understand it because no one is going to complain that you clarified, (laughs) but they might be a little disappointed if you spend 20 hours on the wrong thing. So that's definitely a big one. And then to just say yes to things, even if they don't sound like they're perfectly in your wheelhouse, I think that that's a great way, particularly maybe if you don't have an area of focus that's as tight as, like for me, it applies even in healthcare, because as you said, there's a huge breadth of things to specialize on in healthcare. But maybe if you don't have such a niche focus, saying yes to something might be the thing that exposes you to the thing that you really want to work on forever. And there will be a plethora of opportunities offered to you and probably too many sometimes, but just being able to say yes, and it's such a short period, say yes for 10 weeks, and you'll find something that's really fun and interesting. That's fabulous advice. You don't know what you don't know. And the over-communicate, I feel like I should play that over again for when the first year start. <laughs> <laughs> that's just great advice in general. When in doubt, confirm it. And something that I don't actually get the chance to share that often, because I, I sit in our review calls where the partners talk about review feedback, they love curiosity. I've never heard a partner say, oh my God, this associate just asks me too many questions, <laughs> but they will say, say they'll, you know, they'd say Sheridan asks the best questions. And by asking those questions, that's how they know you're invested in it too. And they'll actually assume when someone doesn't and isn't particularly inquisitive, it can come across as not caring because really clarifying is asking questions, right? That's what right, that is. Right. 
Yeah. And I think that that partially comes from the, the fear of asking questions because we got to work with partners all the time, which I think is also kind of unique, but it's, it's scary to ask a partner a question because you're like, they're an expert in the field. I should be able to know this, but no, you shouldn't because none of us know anything about working at a law firm because we've been there for two weeks or 10 yes. weeks at this point. Well, most of the time when they at you ask, they'll reflect, oh my gosh, yeah, I forgot I should have told you. And I totally didn't know that. And what a great thing to ask. And then you'll also, when you start practicing, you find that, you know, when you're a first year, you find the third year or you mm-hmm. find the senior counsel, but yeah, a million times yes. Uh, and with that, Sheridan, I'll ask my final question, which, you know, not substantive, but if people have comments or questions for you, can they feel free to find you on LinkedIn and shoot you a message? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Anything about Boston University, Foley, whatever, I'm happy to talk. Perfect. Thank you, Sheridan, so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 